Thank you so much for tuning in and welcome everyone. I hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake, episode number 51. I I just want to thank you for tuning in with us today, wherever you are and uh, whatever you're doing right this very moment. It uh, it means everything to me to share the messages that God's laid on my heart to share. And it'd be wrong of me not to to officially welcome and thank you uh, to those who joined us from Denmark last week. So I'm proud to have you on the show and welcome, friends. And as always, I promise you another great show. Uh, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord, not just another podcast episode. And just a quick ask, if you find value in these episodes, would you take 30 seconds after the show to just submit a quick review and uh, and maybe a star rating on your app that you'll listen to it? Uh, this is what other listeners look for when they decide whether to give a show a listen. So it's confirmation from good people like you that it can bring value to them. So would you do that for me if and only if you find value in these episodes? And I can't thank you enough to those that do. So uh, without further delay, let's get ready to invite God in with us right here, right now, and allow him to speak directly to your heart and minds. But first, if you are a first-time listener and wondering how could I make a podcast sounding like one of Jim Henson's Muppets, or if you've been a long-time listener and believe this isn't me, it is. I've, I've got some pretty bad covid and I sound and feel like the polar opposite of how I normally feel. So I even, you know, I even canceled the uh, the episode with our next guest, Corey, who I'm, I'm about to introduce. As I was, uh, I was feeling too ill to even stand up, um, even sit up at times. However, in my, in my prayers to uh, to God, uh, asking Him to repair me, and, and just thinking about Corey and um, and this show and. What he has for you today, God said this to me. He's, I felt him saying, don't let the devil and his virus be greater than your faith in me. And within that second, you know, I'm, I'm back on with Corey saying, hey, we're doing, we're doing this, brother. Satan isn't stopping this one from getting out. So without further ado, uh, I, I, I am proud, I'm humbled, I'm honored, and, and just blessed to have with us today Corey Burris from Texas. Corey is not just a new brother in Christ to me. He is a walking, talking, ministering, beloved child of God that has such a profound story. Um, I'll do very little talking this episode um, because he's the man of uh, that God would not allow to die. He's the man that God would not allow to die, and you're going to find out how. This is such a a powerful testimony to the one that we serve, the Almighty God, and a witness to Corey's faithfulness in just taking what the enemy meant for evil and using with the helping hands of our Father to use it for good. So this this episode is entitled Corey Burris, The Man Who God Refused to Let Die. So let me to uh, introduce Corey to our show today. Corey, how are you today, brother? I'm good. How you doing? Thanks for letting me come on here. Oh, man, that's it's it's our pleasure. <laughs> Trust <laughs> me, man. I'm just gonna kind of put my mic on silent. I know that's a that's a, a taboo statement for me to make, but uh, I just love <laughs> to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you uh, and, and into the hearts and minds of those who's listening today and those who will hear this eventually. And whenever you're ready, man, bless us, brother. Cause I, when I saw your post guys, I know you can't see through a podcast, but, uh, 
first thing Corey posts in one of our Christian men's groups, uh, men who follow Christ, is uh, big, big capital letters, trigger warning with all these asterisks. So immediately that caught my attention. I want to see what he's talking about. And he puts a couple photos of himself. Uh, one is a real, real good looking young teen. And then another one after obviously a traumatic event had happened and, uh, and his testimony. And it, it, I was already blown away at the photos, let alone uh, reading his testimony. He's got something out of this world, something that only God have, could have ordained. And uh, I don't want to waste another moment without hearing that and, sh- and letting him share this with you, uh, the power of God through through a uh, through a human being um, such as Corey. So, hey, Corey, just you know, kind of share with our audience, you know, what it was like growing up, and uh, what life was like as a teen, and what kind of spurred this um, kind of direction in in your life. Not where you're at now, but where you were before right. you were uh, you, you were shaken up or shaken awake. Well, my story is pre- uh, it starts out. Well, I can't just tell you for sure because I didn't know this at first. But, uh, okay, so I was born, whatever, you know, I didn't, everything was cool. You know, I was growing up, you know, I can remember five, six years old, you know, everything was normal. It was, you know, and I started playing soccer at age five years old. And, uh, oh, wow, just, <laughs> I just realized I played soccer. The first time I played soccer was 40 years ago. I'm old. <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, you know, uh, my mom was a coach, and uh, I had an older brother, so my dad coached his teams, and it just, that's where it started. That's where I start remembering. But we uh, we played sports. I mean, all, every, just about everything. But anyway, um, the more I played, the more I started noticing, you know, my dad wasn't always there, you know, and he'd always beat my brother's stuff. But, like, when I didn't have pressure game, I was always at their stuff, you know. So it's like, well, why can't, why isn't he always at mine, you know, kind of a little thing like that, which I didn't really pay much mind because, you know, whatever he was busy, I just blew it off. So, you know, I just things like that, little things like he wasn't around, or, you know, and or on weekends. I remember on Sunday mornings, I was just like, I know he's going to start driving about something, you know, so I was just like, man, I hate Sundays. Or or he would, every once in a blue moon, he would make us go to church, and it's like, okay, we go to church, but he goes and smokes, you know, three or four cigarettes during church. <laughs> it's like, where, where's he going? Anyway, but he would always drop at us, and it's like, you know, it was we're getting in trouble all weekend, you know. I didn't like the weekends, you know. During the week, he would go to work, and he would be gone, and this, that, and other. But, you know, I can always remember the weekends. I'm like, oh, man, what's he going to gripe about? What we got to have to do? And anyway, so it just continued like that. And then I was 10 or 11 years old, probably. Anyway, we were um, all having a family thing. At, I think it was Thanksgiving. Or I can't remember. Something, one of the family get-togethers, you know. <laughs> anyway, me and my cousins were outside. Three, well, that was my brother and my two cousins, so it was four all of us. All together was four. So anyway, I went in the house to grab something to drink, and uh, they didn't hear me come in, just all the adults. And my dad wasn't there, of course. Anyway, uh, they were talking about me and my dad, so I stopped. I didn't go past, I didn't go into the room. So I just sat there and listened for a second. 
and they were talking about how I was a mistake, you know, in my dad's eyes. Okay, not my mom. But uh, in my dad's eyes, I was a mistake. And, you know, so I started thinking, you know, maybe that's, that could be a reason why he treats me the way he does, you know, always griping at me and I can't do nothing right and mm-hmm. call me all these names and everything, you know. And uh, So I just went back outside. I never said anything to him. I never said anything to him to this day. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter anyway. But anyway, so I was, um, I was like enlightened about it, you know. I was able to put something together, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the older I got, he got worse and he got worse and started punishing me in, uh, in odd ways, you know, like military style ways. Um, six inches, you know, doing six inches. I don't know if all y'all know what that means, but you lay down and you put your, you put your legs together and you put your feet up six inches in the air and you stay there and it it burns, you know? So he would do a lot of stuff like that and make me sit on the wall, my back on the wall, like I'm sitting in a chair, but there's no chair there. You know what I mean? With the legs bent and everything and, uh, kneel on uncooked rice and, he made me take a bath in the in a fifty five gallon drum in the backyard, and we don't have a privacy fence. We got a chain link fence. You can see. Oh man. Anyway, um, and but one of his favorite things to do was um, if he wanted to know whatever information it was, if I was lying or whatever the case may be, he would put a mark about four inches above my nose with pencil on the wall, and he would make me put my nose on that mark. And he would sit behind me in a chair with a belt. And uh, every time I would go below that mark, he'd hit me with the belt. And I got back up there. And I would stay there until I told him whatever whatever it was, whatever the case may be at that point, you know. And uh, and that happened a lot, you know. And uh, my mom, you know, they fought constantly about me all the time, all the time. It was every night thing. It was just relentless you know it's just uh it's horrible and uh but she worked a lot she's an RN and I mean just it was just terrible it was a toxic situation but things continued you know for years and years and um whenever I was whenever I was 16 years old I uh I just turned 16 in like September and then uh Let's see. We went back to school after Christmas break, and uh, you know, things. I I was a happy kid as far as if I went at home. I, mean, I was happy here too. It just I don't know. I just learned how to put it behind me, really. But um, went back to school after the Christmas break, and then uh, we we're gonna have a big party. You know, this one guy at school always threw big parties. Anyway, he's like, I'm having a party this weekend, and everybody at the whole school was going to go. And, uh, you know, that's just what we did. We partied on weekends around here. <laughs> we live in the woods. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the day came. You know, it was Friday night. You know, I can still remember the day. Anyway, came home, and me, me and my two buddies, my best friends, 
uh, was like, hey, yeah, let's go home. We'll take showers and meet back up at your house. We'll go to the party. Cause it was like around the corner from, uh, one of my buddy's houses. And, uh, so, all right, we went home and we got a shower. I got ready to go to the party. And, uh, I got out of the shower. I actually, um, I live with my mom again. So I'm, I'm looking at the spot I was standing in when I got the phone call. Wow. But, uh, I was standing in my room. I had, uh, put my pants on and everything. I didn't have a shirt on or nothing. And my buddy called me and, Said we're not going to the party. I'm like, why not? You know, it's Friday night. It's the party. I said everybody's gonna be there. Why don't? Why ain't we going? And uh, he's like, well, and uh, my buddy's name is Cody. Okay, so he said, no. Nah. He said we're not going. He said uh, Cody shot himself. And I'm like, what? I said, is he okay? He shoot himself in the foot. What's going on? Because we play with guys all the time. We went hunting and, you know, it's just, that was just, it was a common thing. Yeah. Well, um, he said, no, he said he's dead. He, he shot himself in the head. He blew his head off. And I was just like, what? I was, man, I was just, I was devastated. I was just in shock. Like, there's no way. There's, so I called another buddy of mine and, uh, I said, come get me right now. We got to, and that's what happened. I said, we got to go to his house right now. So he hauled a boat over here because he lived like half a block away. Anyway, he, uh, he brought me to his house and it was just, man, it was crazy. It was just cops everywhere and ambulances and, and, um, my other buddy, Bill, that had called me and told me his dad, his stepdad was an ambulance driver mm. and, he was he was across the street at the, at his dad's house from me, but his stepdad mom lived four houses down from Cody. So and his dad was an ambulance driver that had to come get him. Oh man. Yeah, so it was just anyway, so when I got there, they the ambulance was still there. Uh they took him off, they drove off when I got there. But um they had a cop blocking the door and I said, I'm going in there. And he said, you're not, you're not going in the house. And I said, you need to step aside cause I'm going in that house. And the cop, he took a step to the side and wow. I can't, I can't believe he did it actually now, but yeah. he took a step aside and I went in the house and man, I can still see it. Yeah. But I mean, the aftermath was still there, and just the family was there. And just, I mean, I can't describe it. It was like my heart was ripped out of my chest. Just, I can't, I can't, I'll never be able to unsee what I saw. No. And, uh, and then I stayed there. I stayed there for a while, a long while. You know, what was, what was I supposed to do? You know, I mean, like, I didn't know what to do, sure. you know, and he had a little brother and he had a little nephew that was, you know, he was supposed to be watching. He was, nobody was home. He was babysitting the nephew mm. and the nephew was asleep on the couch when it happened. So he didn't see nothing, but they came home like right after. And, uh, man, it was just a total shock. He had like the perfect life. You know, mm -hmm. his dad was a pharmacist. They had good money. He had four wheelers. He had an in-ground pool. He had a half pipe in his backyard. He had the the 
the cheerleader girlfriend, he, I mean, everything. I mean, who, who would not want to be like that? You know what I mean? In high school. So it was just like, it was a total shock. It was just, there was no rhyme or reason why. Right. And uh, to this day, no reason why. Sure. You know, you know when I hear and, uh, when I hear that I hear uh, one one family that's in uh, it's in disarray right turmoil yeah um, and one family his that seems to be the whatever we call it these days the the perfect American family yeah. and you the say that you're child, happy yeah. when you're not at home you know um, sounds like he could have been happy all the time so why you yeah know, why he's such been a, happy all the time and it's like you know and it, it's just. It was horrific, man. But um, we went back to school. Well, it was the weekend, and uh, like I think the film was like on a Monday or something that Monday. But it was um, there was standing room only in the parking lot of the funeral home. It was just it was wild, man. It was just I've never seen nothing like this. And uh, during the funeral procession, uh, there was cars at the funeral. And the, the line was still coming out of the parking lot. And it was like five miles away. And it was like, wow. You know, it's just... This town had never seen anything like that. It, it just it, it devastated everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, after the funeral and all that, we went back to school. And you know, like the next day, and man, I just... I wasn't feeling it. You know, I didn't want to be there. And... uh you know, everybody hangs around before the school starts, you know, talking and whatnot. Yeah, and it was yeah. just, it was just silent, man. It was just an eerie silence. It was just heavy, you know, the whole school was heavy. And mm -hmm. I left, I said, I can't be here. I, I got to go. And I walked off campus and like 50 people just left. They just, moved. I'm gone, I'm leaving. And uh, nobody even got in trouble, you know, and, um, actually walked across the street from the high school and that's where my friend lived that shot himself and because uh, we went to my other buddy's house that lived four houses down we all went to his house and it was just the principal even called us you know and said, just he wasn't gripping he didn't say come back to school he says i'm just gonna see if y'all are okay i'm checking on y'all just you know it was it was like a whole mutual thing you know what i mean mm -hmm. and uh which is a good thing. I'm glad they didn't come try and get us and everything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and, how, uh, how did that transition to what happened next with you in particular? Because I, I know today in today's society, they have, um, you know, typically counselors on board. They have um, social oh, care. They, or they've got all. Oh, they had them back then, too. Just oh, okay. Nobody used them. I mean, they did after the fact. Yeah. You know, and I mean, they had counselors trying to get me out of class. Oh, okay, good. And uh, trying to talk to me, but I wouldn't talk to him. You know, it's mm -hmm. like I don't even know what to tell you. You know, I don't. Yeah. What am I? You know. Yeah. What do I tell you? <laughs> so how did that end end up impacting your individual life, other than obviously the initial shock and <laughs> just the uneasiness of, of of it all? How did that filter? Well, back after after all that, I mean, I did the best I could, and I mean, a lot of us started going back to church and. uh and just, you know, we just, we didn't know what to do. So I just, you know, try to put it behind me the best I could, you know, and just continue on. And, uh, like I said, that was in January. So, um, 
everybody just tried to do the best they could, me too, and just try to get back to normal and just, and for the most part it did, you know, and, but things at home were the, were the same and getting worse and, you know, I, uh, I was, I, on the weekends, you know, I would drink here and there, you know, whatever, you know, with some friends or, but anyway, it was always in the back of my mind and, but I, I told everybody I wasn't going to do that, you know, because they were worried about me. And I said, nah, there's no way I would ever do anything like that. I said, I see the pain it caused. I feel the pain that it caused, you know, and it didn't. His pain went to so many hundreds of people. And it was just, wow, you know. And so that's that was my mind frame. I wasn't ever going to do that, you know. And, and uh, you know, I kept getting in trouble at home and getting grounded. I was always getting grounded. And uh, so my life really hadn't changed much after that until like, I don't know, I was in trouble. And uh, I remember it was around November or so, I got out of trouble and uh, hanging out with some buddies. And we went, just as a gag, you know, we went and stole a bunch of reindeer and, you know, Christmas decorations and, you know, lights and, uh, we had a whole, like a whole herd of reindeer at the store parking lot. You know, it was mm-hmm. a joke, you know? Yeah. Well, I didn't know, but while we were taking all the lights and stuff, some guy uh, took it, we took his lights. Well, he started chasing me on foot, you know, behind my truck. And apparently he had grabbed on my tailgate and I didn't know. But when I uh, hollered button, turned the corner, I slung him off my truck. I didn't, had no clue. Didn't know he's back there. Anyway, so the cops were looking for us, and uh, they found us because I'm hiding. Anyway, uh, they said y'all been stealing Christmas lights and this that and I'm like, no, it wasn't us. We weren't doing nothing. Anyway, they checked my registration and opened the glove box. <laughs> Christmas lights come poured out of there. Oh, <laughs> so busted. Like, <laughs> busted. Yeah. So, anyway, the cop laughed. You know, he laughed it off. He said, man, y'all go home. And uh, we didn't get in trouble. He just, you know, we went home. And while I was, I was in trouble at home, I was, man, I got grounded. And, man, I had to go, uh, I don't know, I had to go apologize to the guy and talk to him with my dad. And just, I was just a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And, so I was grounded again, and uh, Christmas came, and I was still grounded. Well, New Year's came around, and uh, me and my buddies, I was trying to get out of getting grounded. So I was, you know, begging and begging. Finally, they said, you can go out tonight, but you better not do anything stupid. And uh, oh, I'd already planned on doing something stupid. I'd been playing this big old lie, how uh, I gave him my buddy's phone number, told him I was going to be at another buddy's house, blah, 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 because... His mom said we could drink, and, well, that was a lie. We'd show up a beer, she kicked us all out. So, well, anyway, so um, we go to uh, the town's about 10 miles away, Mauriceville. Anyway, it's the hick town. Uh, so we go there, and we party, and end up getting too drunk. And uh, Well, I stayed there anyway, but it rained that night, and I had my truck parked. Well, I thought it was all right, but anyway, came back, and it's like in a mud hole. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. So anyway, and it's the next day. I'm hungover bad. 
took a bunch of us to get my truck out of there. It looked like I went mud and all that. Anyway, so when I get home, you know, it's cold. It's January 1st. Part of my punishment was I had to wash the truck. and had to wash the underneath of the truck, everything. You know, and he's, I quote, he said, uh, I want you to be able to eat off the bottom of that truck. I want it so clean. Anyway, so when I was laying under there, freezing cold, you know, water hit me. I made a decision, man. I said, look, I'm done with it. You know, I kept thinking about my buddy. I'm like, man, all his problems are gone. They're over with. You know, it's just, he ain't got nothing to worry about. Mm. So I made a decision while I was under the truck. I said, I'm just going to shoot myself and be done with it. I'm just going, I'm going to check out. You know, I'm tired of it. Mm. You know, I can't take any more. You know, and it just, and I'm 17 years old this time. You know, and, uh, so when I when I got through washing the truck, I came in, took a shower, or whatever. Anyway, and I was grounded for however months or whatever. So I'm sitting in my room, and uh, oh well, after I take a shower, uh, my brother went home, and uh, my brother had the shotgun. So I went in his room and I grabbed the shotgun shell, and I put it next to my TV, and uh. For a whole week, you know, I could I stay, sat there and stared at the show, you know, and watching TV and and uh, man, it just kept being a better and better idea, you know. Mm. As crazy as that sounds, mm. you know, I was being lied to, you know, in my own voice in my head by Satan, yep. you know. But I believed it because it was my own voice. Like, well, yeah, it's me. Anyway, I, so as the I days was, were going on. Uh, the thoughts inside and 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 the th- the thought of ending it all became more and more and more appealing as the days went on, right? If oh I'm yeah, thinking, I, could, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't wait. I was waiting till the day my buddy killed himself. I was gonna do it on the same day. Oh wow! And uh, which was January the eighth. So I uh, that's why I waited a week. So anyway, I uh, the thoughts were just man is. I couldn't even have a clear thought, but at the time I thought they were clear as day, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was just telling me how I'm just worthless, you know. I'm I'm nothing. I'm a burden, you know. I'm trouble to everybody, you know. Doing everybody a favor by doing this, you know. Just that matter. Obviously, I was being lied to, but yeah. so um, so the day of January the eighth came, and uh. I mean, I wasn't in any, any hurry to do it, you know. I'm just sitting around the house. My dad was gone. My brother was gone. It was just me and my mom here. And I was in there watching TV. I was watching a movie. Uh, I was actually watching the movie Aspen Extreme. But uh, I was sitting on the couch watching TV. And my mom came in the room. I was like, I got to get rid of her somehow. So I told her, I said, the dog needs to go outside. Why do you take her outside? She was like, okay. So she took the dog outside. And uh, when she did, I ran back in the back and grabbed a gun and uh, and the shell. And uh, I, I went into the bathroom, and we had two doors that were locked. The first door I locked it where the sink set. Mm. I went in there where the tub and stuff was, and I locked that door. And I sat down on the toilet, 
and I put the, the butt of the gun on the ground and put it under my chin. And I was like, all right, man, on the count of three, I'm out of here. And man, I didn't even, I didn't even hesitate. I said one, two, and then I pulled the trigger. And uh, I don't remember anything for two weeks, but I didn't, I never passed out. I never died. I, um, I was coherent for the most part. You know, I walked back in the living room, unlocked both doors, and I sat back on the couch where I was, and I was watching TV. And uh, my mom came back in the house, and she told me later that she was outside for six minutes. And uh, she says she she won't talk to me about it. It's still, she, she won't talk to me about it. Sure. But um, in which I don't try to pressure her into it, but uh, she said that uh, she was outside for six minutes and came back in and half my face was gone and there was just blood everywhere. Oh, man. And uh, she she had no clue what happened. She, she didn't know. Anyway, uh, and she was an RN by trade, so her training kicked in, I guess, and uh, she was able to keep her composure long enough to try to get help here. Wow. You know, and she called 911. She said she had to call like five or six times because it was busy. Oh. Yeah, imagine that. Wrong, wrong time for it to be busy. Right. How can it be busy? Mm-hmm. But, um, so the cops, you know, I'm sure the cops were here, ambulances, and, you know, I'm sure this scene here was just like what I saw at my buddy's house. And uh, the only difference, I had a helicopter right down the road to church waiting on me. Wow. And uh, they put me in the ambulance and brought me to the helicopter where they flew me to Beaumont, Texas, which is like 30 miles away from here. Well, when I got there, they brought me in and uh, I've actually talked to nurses and the pilots of the helicopter and stuff. And uh, they said I was unrecognizable as a person. And uh, my, my head was the size of a basketball. <laughs> And um, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have the the know-how or the ability to be able to fix me. So they put me back in the helicopter, and they flew me to Galveston, Texas. And uh, that's where I stayed for months. And uh, they put me back together. Uh, I don't like I said I don't remember anything for two weeks but I was trying to communicate the whole time they had paper and I had a pen and I mean even in the helicopter I was writing notes trying to talk and trying to you know and just trying to communicate do you remember what you were trying to say do you did you realize what had happened or were you just totally oblivious to where you were at and why you were there I'm sure I'm sure I knew what happened but uh, I don't remember so I don't I don't know I don't I just um, my mom had saved most of the notes, and I, I, I read them. I read. I, she didn't have the ones from the very first. I, they probably covered blood in it. I don't know, but, but um, I have a bunch of them from when I was in the hospital before I could remember. And it was just like it wasn't like like mapped out like a piece of paper with stuff writing on it. It was just like. Somebody took a sheet of paper and brainstormed on it. You know what I mean? It was just they were watching me. It was like I write something. And they, I guess they'd answer me or whatever. You know, it was, yeah. it was all over the place. But anyway, um, the first thing I remember is uh, I always say I woke up, but I was I never was out. So 
But um, the first thing I remember was just, wow, you're a failure. You know, how, how can you take a 12 gauge and not kill yourself? You know, I mean, just utter disappointment. You know, I was, I'm still here. You know, and it's like, man, just all the, all the everything was just, it was still there, but so much more. You know, yeah. and uh, so I looked in the bathroom and, uh, and I'm strapped down. I mean, I'm strapped down everywhere, legs, arms, chest. And uh, I'm on suicide watch. You know, I got huge window in my room. Everybody can come by and look at me. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody. So I looked in the bathroom and my parents had, had taped those paper towels all over the mirror so I couldn't see yeah. what I did. So I don't write notes why those on there. But we don't want you to see what you did. Well, obviously, now I got to make my way in there and see what I did. Mm-hmm. So I got him to unstrap me. And uh, I made my way in there with my IV pole and all that. Mm-hmm. And I ripped the papers off the mirror. And I was just, wow. I was just in shock. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had a bunch of packing in my face. You know, and I pulled it all out. And uh Man, it was just half my face was gone. It was just a hole. It was just, it was chaotic. <laughs> and like, it was crazy because I had my mouth closed, the rest of my mouth, my half mouth, whatever. And uh, I was looking through the hole in my face and I could see the molars on the other side of my face. Oh, man. And it was like, wow. And it was just like, man, all the problems that you thought you had hmm. aren't even problems anymore. Yeah. You know, all the problems that you shot yourself over aren't even problems anymore. You know, and it's like you just created like a multitude of problems. And uh, here we go. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? What can you do? Mm-hmm. You know? So... I was sitting in the hospital bed months talking to God, you know, and just, you know, because I believed in God. I was saved. You know, I thought I was going to heaven, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I didn't know a whole lot about him, but, you know, I there was a few things I held on to my whole life, you know, that he always loved us no matter what. He would always forgive you, and he's always there. Mm-hmm. And that's... Uh, that's the things I had on to, you know. Yep. It wasn't much, but it was enough. Yep. You know, at that point. And, uh, man, I just, I knew he saved me, and I started asking why, which I didn't get an answer, you know. But uh, I said, I know you saved me for a reason, and I'm going to keep asking you every day, every day, until I get an answer. Mm. So I did that. You know, it was an everyday thing, you know, and uh, it became... Just like a habit, you know, just a routine. Yep. Of asking. So anyway, I uh, I uh, got out of the hospital, and I did I did a little homebound school for the rest of the year because it was almost over. And I was continuing to have surgeries, and uh, I was having a lot of surgeries. Anyway, September came around. I went back to school. My parents were like, I don't know. If you, 
you need to go back to school. Yeah, you know, you can still do the homebound. Like, I'm going back to school. I need to get, I need to get right. I need to get back to normal. I need to get, I need to get my life back. Yeah. So, uh, you know, because I made a choice in the hospital. I said, man, I got, I got two options here. You know, I could either stay in the house the rest of my life and be a recluse, or I can rue the day. I can walk on my chest out, my head up, like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. So I chose that, and I, cause I knew God was going to be there and help me through things, but I didn't know how or why. But I just, I just kept going, and uh, I, I went back to school, man. And it was, I looked, I was. I was a mess. I didn't look right at all. I mean, I had hardware everywhere. I had a bar across my, from one ear to the other, across my chin. You know, I had, I was just, I was a mess. And this is, this is, uh, I just thought of it. This is on the heels of your best friend, the, the, you know, a popular kid in school, which everyone was still obviously not over yet, I'm sure. And then, yeah. and then you. Right, mm-hmm. so they're, they're in double shock now. On top, oh of yeah, that. absolutely. Wow. And uh, there was there was rumors going around that uh, my other buddy was going to do it the next year. Hmm. Like that, there was a suicide pact. I'm like, y'all, no, there's no, there's no pact. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I had a stomach too still hanging out in my stomach. I mean, I I was eating through there, you know, and uh, I still couldn't eat. Um, people would uh, make fun of me, you know, and, and snicker and point, and you know it was. Which I was, a, I was a popular guy in school, you know. So it wasn't like, and a lot of it wasn't making fun, you know. A lot of it was. They were just in shock. They didn't know, I and mean, they didn't, you know, it was. They had never been around that. They never seen somebody that looked like that, and I understood that, but I didn't let it. I didn't let it bother me. Yeah. You know, I just, it, just kept going, kept pushing. Good for you. You know, I, oh, thank you. But uh, I, th- I never thought I'd have a girlfriend again. I thought all that was gone. That, you know, and that's detrimental, you know, to somebody in the hospital. Sure. You know, and uh, lo and behold, like, it wasn't too much longer. I got a girlfriend. Look at a mess. And it's like, <laughs> How in the world? <laughs> so, but it, it really, it really taught me a lot of things. You know that I thought everybody was superficial and just looked at the outside. You know, yeah. But no, there's actually some some true people out there that actually look at your heart. You know, and, and uh, we stayed together, you know, off and on for like ten years, and uh, we were engaged and and everything, and I just. I guess I got cold feet and I didn't go through with it. I took off. Uh, I took off. And it, which a lot of bad things had happened. And uh, we got back together. It was like, I really didn't want to be back together, but I did. So when we got, talking about getting married, I'm like, oh man, I got to, I got to go. I, got, I can't do it. So, which we're still friends now. It's crazy. But, Anyway, we didn't get married, so I took off, and I was uh, I was going to college, and I met this girl a few months later, or whatever. And, 
she wasn't going to college. She just drove by, and uh, I had met her at a party, and I didn't even remember. But uh, I was standing outside of college, and she drove by, and she stopped. She's like, you remember me from the party? Well, um, I don't, but I do. I said I did. Anyway, so we started talking and dating, and we ended up getting married, And uh, which I was on drugs, and you know, even in college, and and she was doing drugs too, but we started going together and like we were doing coke and drinking and smoking weed and you know, and just whatever. And uh, so we, uh, we were together, living together and we were, we already planned on getting married and uh, she was like, well, let's have a kid. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea, okay. <laughs> Neither one of us knew anything about anything. <laughs> so, uh, we quit doing the drugs. We had a kid, and uh, it was hard to find a job because of discrimination and this, that, and the other. And if I found one, it wasn't paying nothing. And anyway, so I started smoking pot again. I was working. I was smoking pot again, and uh, just things started going downhill. Just not because of pot, but just because of life, you know. And and. Uh, started doing more drugs and more drugs and and uh this is around 2005 so i mean we're back on the hard stuff doing meth and and uh man it was just chaos we couldn't get along always fighting and arguing it was just toxic uh started getting a little abusive uh on her part and uh you know it's just man it's my life was chaos again, you know, it was just, and, uh, but I was used to the chaos, you know, from growing up, and mm-hmm. so it was pretty normal, but um, a hurricane came through here in 2005, Hurricane Rita, mm-hmm. and, uh, man, it tore, it was like a bomb, it was like a bomb went off, and it was right after Katrina, like yep. a month later, Horrible. and we had all the Katrina people here, and it was just, it was, it was it was horrible man yeah um came back the next day but where i evacuated to was the most wrong place to go because it went right where i went you know it, it was supposed to turn but it came right where we were so anyway getting home was a wreck i'm mean, a good lord i mean just going around trees just it was bad anyway i uh, my, my job found out i was back and they're like, well, you want to come to work? I'm like, man, I can't just come to work. I got, you know, there's no power. I got my family. And and I said, uh, they're like, we'll give you like a $4 raise. I'm like, I'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> so I went back to work. And, uh, man, the money was just, it was good money. But it was just burning a hole in my pocket. Man, so I was, uh, bought a bunch of drugs and just... Anyway, I was working night, so I was doing dope at night at work with my crew. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Anyway, um, I was working. I went to work one night, and uh, I wasn't doing any drugs. But I didn't do anything the whole night. And uh, on the way home from work, I was there was a construction zone on the interstate, and I had a little truck, so I had a little Ford Ranger. So I'm like, I'm passing this 18-wheeler, but I'm, I'm going to go fast, so I'll get past him real quick. So I was going like 80 miles an hour, 
And I was passing him real quick. Well, he clipped the back of my truck. He barely came over. And because there was no shoulder, it was just concrete barrier in the lanes. And it was just real, real skinny. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when he tapped my truck, he didn't hit it hard. But when he tapped it, there was no room. So the force threw my truck into the little sidewall. Oh. And uh, the airbag knocked me out at 80 miles an hour. If the airbag hadn't knocked me out, I could have just you know, bounced around a little bit and I could have slowed down and stopped. No mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, the, when I got knocked out, somehow I just, my truck took a violent turn right in front of the 18 wheelers. And like, I T-boned that wall with the front of my truck at 80 miles an hour. Boom. And it started flipping. My truck started flipping and it caught on fire. Uh, luckily, the 18 wheeler had a flatbed, and he didn't have a load on it, or he would he would plow right through me. Yeah. And uh, but he was able to swerve quick enough and actually go around me. So he, I mean, I would have been dead right there. Sure. Uh, so I crawled out of the truck, and uh, you know, there's no traffic. You know, everybody stopped anyway. So I'm picking up my chains and crowbars, and you know, everything I had in the truck. So the cops are like, hey, man, come here, you come here. I'm like, dude, hold on. I'm picking up my stuff, you know. I'm surprised like, you're still coherent. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, they're starting to get mad. I'm like, dude, I'm getting my, I had chains around my neck and everything, you know. I'm like, they're like, come here. Anyway, I go over there and they're like, man, you okay? And then, you know, I'm like, I'm good, dude. And I had a busted nose from the airbag and like, you need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm like, why not? I said, I'm fine. And they're like, no, you're not. And my wife gets up there and my mother-in-law and they're telling me I'm slurring and everything else. I'm like, no, I'm good. I just got hit in the head. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but I didn't want to go to the hospital because previously I had gotten two DWIs and uh, that was before I met my wife. Actually, yeah, that was right before I met my wife. I got the second one like after a week of knowing her. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, I wasn't going to go to the hospital because the first thing they're going to do is drug testing. Mm. You know, and even though I'm not on drugs, uh, they're in my system. So I'm, I'm not going to get out of that. Yeah. So there's no way I'm going to the hospital. So I go home and, uh, I go to work the next day. I go back to work. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I got to work. They're like, you need to go home. You need to go take a few days off. And, you know, anyway, so I go home. And, uh, like, the next day, man, my stomach just started hurt. Just, like, cramping bad. Couldn't figure out what it was. Went to the hospital. Uh, yeah, well, we don't know. It was just, just something. But there was no, <laughs> nothing. Anyway, so I'm like, well, I can't go to work like this. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to somebody for five minutes without being out of breath. Mm. You know, it's like something's going on. Yeah. Anyway, about a week later, I'm sitting at the house, sitting on the bed, and my wife's sitting next to me, and I, I get out the bed. I already know what I'm going to do. But she said that it's like I saw a ghost or something. She said, I got it off the bed, and I... I looked at the corner of the room, like the top corner of the room, and she said I followed all the way around the room, every corner, just looking like I was watching a ghost. 
And she said, whenever I, I was facing her, she said that I tensed up so much. I didn't have a shirt or any muscle in my, my upper body. And I, I broke both my shoulders. I tensed up so bad. And I fell in the bed and started having a seizure. Oh, man. And uh, she said it was like a violent, violent, violent seizure. Anyway, uh, apparently I'd been out for a minute or uh, whatever because she had enough time to call somebody next door to come run over here and help her, you know, whatever. So when I woke up, I was this dude, my sister-in-law's boyfriend, had tattoos all over his face and everything, like biker dude, was running down my sidewalk with me in his arms. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, I just, you know, I just... I didn't know where I was. Yeah. All I knew was my shoulders were burning just like on fire. And uh, so they brought me to the hospital and all that, whatever. So anyway, after all that, it was like, man, what's, what's going on, dude? And it's like, I was mad. I was frustrated. I wasn't mad at God. I was frustrated with God. And it was like, because, man, it's just my job was gone. My truck was gone. My shoulders were broke. I can't even try to work. You know, I have a family with a five-year-old kid and a wife and bills and, you know, and what am I going to do? I mean, even if I wanted to do something, I had the opportunity to do something, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so this is like 12 years after I shot myself. And I'm still asking God every day, why you saved me? But it's just repetition, you know. But yeah. on this day, I was pretty frustrated. So I, I told him a few choice words. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God, why the blank did you save me? What the blank, blank, you know, why yeah. am I here? You know, and it's like, I wasn't expecting an answer, but I got one. Mm. And it was like, and it, it was in, it wasn't, it wasn't in my head either. It wasn't like a still small voice in your head. Audible. It was. It was audible. It was. I remember sitting on my couch and it's just like he wasn't yelling, but it was. It was. I don't know how to describe it. Like a stern. big voice. It was stern, but it was was great authority. Mm. And I'm, I get my hair standing up on my arms right now. Yeah, me too. But uh, <laughs> but uh. He said, I want you to help people with suicides and talk to people and help people with suicide problems. And I said, <laughs> I laughed at him. I laughed at him. I said, no. I said, no. I said, I'm not doing that. That's like one of my worst fears, getting in front of people and talking. I'm not. I said, no, you got the wrong one. I said, that's not me. And uh, he kept saying, yeah, you're going to help people. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Wow. You got, I said, you had to come up with something else. <laughs> like trying to negotiate with him. You know? <laughs> and uh, I was just like, no, I was dead silly. I'm not doing it. And then I was sitting there thinking and thinking, you know, and uh, pondering on that. And like, man, I don't want to do that. Anyway, and uh Cause right after the wreck, I started going back to church. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know what else to do. Anyway, my, I was the only one. My wife went, and she was she was on drugs. You know, eating pills, and I wasn't eating pills at the time. But anyway, um, I uh, so I told him, I said, "Look, if this is what you really want me to do, give me some confirmation." Mm-hmm. And that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> it was just, it was just like 
it, it wasn't just confirmation. He's like, all right, broken record. Wow. So he, that's all I could hear in my head was just help people, help people, help people. And it was just constant, just, and they didn't stop. Oh, wow. It was like, oh, man. I was like, fine, okay, I'll do it. Just stop, just stop. And so he, he almost put you through what I what I call uh, in, the, in the military. It's called a psyops or psychological. Um, yeah, like some waterboard. <laughs> yeah, but but in your in your head, and that's what he did. Yeah. Oh well, when he wants something, he gets it. Wow. But uh, but whenever I told him I would do it, when I said okay, it was like everything in my past made sense. It was like a light went off. It was like. Even down to my mom's conception, because my mom was on birth control when she got pregnant with me. And that's one of the reasons that my dad had a lot of resentment for me all the years, because he didn't want, he only wanted one son. And uh, I wasn't mistaken in his eyes. So all the things I went through and all the punishments and all the, all the struggle and mental anguish and physicality of everything it was for a reason it was so i can you know and and it's not just from him it's all the things that i've gone through in my life through the abuse and through the toxic relationships through i mean the drugs the fighting the running around the cheating stealing lying everything that goes with it was all for a reason you know yeah I was. I can look back at my life and all the chaos and think it was. It was just chaos. There was no rhyme or reason. But at that point, everything was just like a perfectly formed puzzle. You know. So he revealed all just, that to you. Every dot. Oh, in a in a split second, it was like wow. I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I was just. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to process it. I guess or deal with it. it was just like wow. Yeah. It was like I don't know. It's just it was mind-boggling, you know. And how old were you about this time? Oh man, I was. I don't know. Two thousand. Two thousand five. So. I was twenty-nine. Okay. Around there. So you're so almost anyway, thirty years old, and now all of a sudden, in, in a matter of seconds, you, you've been told by God. The last thirty years, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow. Like, what an awakening, huh? Yeah, aha moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I started, I started helping people. I was like, well, how do I help people? How do I, you know, because it wasn't Facebook. I don't know if it was back then. I didn't have it. If it was. Yeah. Maybe my stage, I didn't have none of that stuff. I had a foot pole. <laughs> yep, me too. But, uh, but uh, so I, I started, uh, which I always, in my life, I always helped anybody with anything, anytime it came around without asking questions and without, you know, I don't want payment. You know, anytime my buddy's trucks were broke, they'd bring them to me, just, you know, whatever. So, you know, I've always been the helper. I just didn't know how to how to apply it or gear it to what I needed to gear it to. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, I can yeah. look back at my life and see that. So it, it's like God has been training me my whole life for this. You know, it's wild. <laughs> but anyway, so um, I uh, I started, I went to Beaumont to the Rape and Crisis Suicide Center and uh, the hotline people 
You know, so I went down there and said, hey, I want to volunteer. Give me what you got. So they, they put me through training, and uh, and I had to go through CPS training. They had to teach me a whole book of stuff. It was just like crazy stuff. Anyway, I, uh, I started taking calls, and they're like, we can patch them through your phone so you don't have to come up here. I'm like, oh, great. So I can sit in my bedroom and do this. Anyway, so uh, they're like, well, you know, we like computers to start out slow. Run, run. I'm like, no, I'm jumping in it. And uh, so I took the shift nobody wanted. I took from midnight to 6 a.m. Mm. And uh, like four, five, four days a week, three, four days a week. Mm. And they're like, everybody else is doing one, you know? And like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, give it to me. I want it. And uh, so I was in it, dude. I was, I was doing it, you know? And God was all over it, you know? And God was doing it, but I was just, you know, I was putting myself out there, you know, I was yeah. stepping out there and allowing him to work through me. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know anything. Yeah. And, a uh, step of faith. Yeah. And, and it was crazy because the way they wanted me to do it was stay on the phone no longer than three minutes, give them some information and get off the phone. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, no, there's, you can't help somebody in three minutes. So anyway, I said, I'm not going by y'all's protocol. And at first, they kind of gave me, they gave me a little, you know, well, hey, you can't do this. I'm like, well, hey, yeah, I am. These are people, you know, these aren't numbers. Yeah. You know, Good for you. And, and I was supposed to write down all this stuff about them, their name. I wouldn't do any of that. I wouldn't turn in my paper on how many calls. And because uh, they knew when I had a call, they had a hotline, and they knew. So y'all can get y'all's numbers from whatever. So anyway, I just did my own thing. I was staying on the phone with some people two, three hours, you know, no three minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if somebody would call, I would let it go through if I was on the phone because there was backup operators. So if I'm on a call, I'm on. I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. Yeah. So they just let me run with it. They just let me go. You know, hey, do what you're gonna do. You know, and. Uh, that was only a God thing because that's they right. got yep. they got protocols and I mean yeah you can't you know that's what I was about to say that was all God right there <laughs> they did not yeah. mess around with the, the uh-uh. rules and regulations when it comes to that so uh-uh. good and for you for sticking by what God had uh, made the path pathway for well it's the only way I knew you know I can't help you in three minutes I can't do it you know there's no I mean you can't you know and. And some of the things I heard, oh my God, I would just, I'd be sweating, just you know, trying to help these people, and you know, and oh man, and it's just, it was just horrible, you know. And I started getting burnt out on it. I did it for like two, three years, you know. And but I was going to church like six days a week, so I wasn't being emptied. I was still getting filled up, and uh, but it was, it was just. It was it was starting to get to me, mm-hmm. you know, and I was doing too much, so I backed off. I quit doing that, and um, I mean, I started. I was getting better, you know. I wasn't, you know. I I found myself going downhill with it, you know, mm-hmm. because my life hadn't changed. I changed. I was the only thing that changed in my life. Uh, my marriage was still toxic. It was still chaos. I was still having to. Uh, which we quit doing the hard stuff. I was still smoking weed, but uh, 
she was eating, eating pain pills and like 40 of them a day. And uh, I was still having to get them every day and, and deal with her not having them. And it was just, it was chaotic. And like, she would tell me, don't come back if you don't find anything because you'll have hell to pay. And it's just like, it was, it was just toxic. It's the best way I could, yeah, just constant chaos. So I was, I was doing the best I could, you know, but God was taking care of me, you know, and I was, I would get one shoulder fixed during all this time and the other one would break and I'd get it fixed and the other one would break and it was just, it was, it was a vicious cycle, you know, and like right now, my right shoulder's been operated on twice. It's good, but my left was broke again right now. And it's been broke for the last two, three years. They won't even, I can't find somebody to fix it. It's so mangled. Um, and it's been operated on four times. And uh, the last surgery, I had to beg them to fix it. I mean, really beg them. And uh, anyway, so um, we're going through the dry spell and not working, can't work. You know, and I'm just praying, you know. And, and I don't ask anybody for anything because I'm not that guy. I don't. I'm not looking for a handout, you know, I just, I just want to get by, you know, so, but God's taking care of everything, bills, everything, you know, every month they're paid, you know, and this goes on for, you know, six years. Wow. And I look back and he's just, those six years, he's just, he's growing my faith. He's, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, you know, and I am, I have nothing else. That's the only thing I have is trust. Yeah. You know, I have to, you know, and anyway, um, but, uh, oh, let me back up a little bit. In 2005, no, 2006, when all this stuff's going on, my wife's on the pain pills, um, she cheated on me for the first time. And, it, uh, man, it ripped my heart out, dude. I was, and, uh, so even though I was going to church, I was a new Christian. Uh, she burned off that day and like that night, she I didn't know where she was. Mm. Anyway, I, and I knew the guy. He lived across the street from my father-in-law. We met. Okay, trust me. So anyway, I start drinking and I said, I'm gonna go shoot this guy. Oh. So I grabbed my so I grabbed my gun. Because, I mean, I got guns. I'm not scared of guns. I shot myself. I knew what I was doing. Yeah, it's not the gun's fault. All right, so I grabbed my gun, and I had a point. I was about at his stomach, and I kept raising it. And I got to around his chest, and uh, I heard a voice tell me to drop the gun. So I dropped the gun, and he took off running. And uh, I jumped back in my truck and, and left. And uh, I was just praying and praying. I didn't know what to do. So the next day I called my preacher. Well, no, I called my preacher. Uh, and he didn't, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what to tell me. He didn't, he hadn't been preaching long, so he was no help. Anyway, so I was praying and, uh, it was that night and God told me, uh, he said, take him fishing. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. He said, take him fishing. And I'm like, mm. and I was trying to do right. You know, I was trying to be faithful. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I can't promise you he's going to make it back with me, but I'll take him fishing. 
so the next day I hitched up my boat and everything and went to his house and knocked on the door and he opened it with the chain, you know, like, what do you want, Corey? Get out of here. Mm. I'm like, man, come on. I'm sorry. You know, I want to take you fishing. Wow. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm not going anywhere with you, especially, <laughs> he's especially like, in a boat. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I'm not. I'm for real. Just come fishing with me. He's like, I ain't going nowhere. And he slammed the door. I'm like, well, I was like, well, God, look, I, you know, he didn't work, but he said, but you were faithful. You did what I asked you to do. Amen. So, so I left with my boat and everything. I left. Well, here's the funny thing. And it says God takes care of your enemies. Mm-hmm. The next day, and this ain't a joke either. The next day, there was an abandoned house next to his house. Nothing in it. Uh, well, it was a rent house. Nobody was in. I guess he broke in it. But anyway, his wallet was found on the floor in there. And he is gone. Hadn't heard a word from him since that day. Wow. I don't know where he's at. I don't, I don't know where he's at. I can't tell you. Wow. And nobody on that road ever saw him again. Nobody. He lived there. That's amazing. He lived there with his uncle. His uncle's like, I, I, I see his uncle. Today, every time I pay my insurance, his uncle's coming in there paying his insurance. Not a word about it. Now, I don't want to ask him, <laughs> right. but, you know, and God will show me if I'm faithful and focus on him, that he will take care of me. That is amazing. Yeah, God and took him so it's long. like, you know, and it's like, what? It's crazy. I mean, it's just, so all I can say is it's crazy. <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes there's no words for it. So God's working on me this whole time, showing mm-hmm. me and doing and doing and showing and I mean, down to down to cigarettes. I mean, and I know a lot of people are like, God ain't gonna buy you cigarettes. Yeah, he did, or he made a way, you know, several times. Because like one day, I passed by my house. I was going to the store before I got home or something. So I passed my house. There's a Walmart bag hanging on my door. I'm what? So I pulled in here. There's carton cigarettes. That I was, my kind. And I smoked like mediums at that time. Nobody smoked those. Yeah. And like, what? So, I mean, that's just crazy. And then like a few, like, I don't know, it's been months later, I go to do some laundry because my wife usually didn't do much. And I open the, the washer door and there's a carton of cigarettes in my washer. My wife doesn't work. She don't go to the store. She don't even have a license. She can't go buy cigarettes. I don't want to buy things. How'd they get in there? I know they weren't in there because I washed clothes a few days ago. Mm. It's like, what? I don't know. It's a little creepy. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, I smoke them. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, so, you know, there's a six-year span, you know, all this is going on. She keeps cheating. And it got to where it's like, whatever, you know, whatever. I didn't, it was at the point I didn't care anymore, you know, and it's like, oh, it was toxic and just, it was bad. It was, we were talking about getting divorced and just, uh, it was, I was at within with it really. So, but I was still going to church all the time, six days a week, you know, and she wouldn't go. And so my father-in-law, he said, uh, well, I, my stepfather-in-law had two of them, my mother-in-law remarried. 
But he had decent money. He worked for the power company. Anyway, he said, man, you need to go back to work. I'm like, yeah. And uh, my shoulder was still broke, but I could do... I could do most things below my chest. Anything on the ground or down low, I could do. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I'm going to start a bounce house company. He said, they're balloons. How hard could it be? <laughs> oh, that was the hardest, heaviest job I've ever had. <laughs> I bet. And I, was, and I was a welder. So anyway, so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so he buys 10 of them off the dump. Just, here we go. And... One of the ones he bought was the biggest one in Southeast Texas, and it weighed 880 pounds when it was dry. Wow. With a broke shoulder. And uh, when it was wet, it could be up to 1,800 pounds. Oh, my goodness. And there was, I'm five foot two, 120 pounds. And I'm like, oh, here we go. So instead of, uh, I thought it was a blessing, but it was a curse. It pulled me out of church. Uh, instead of going to church six days a week, I'm working seven days a week. And, and it's just me and another guy that's 16 years old, and he ain't, he weighs about 130. You know, he's not much bigger. But me and him, man, we did it. We pushed through. We Actually, we're the top company in the whole Golden Triangle around here. Oh, we actually awesome. knocked the top company out of business. No way. <laughs> we, were deli- we were delivering across the street from the top company 30 miles away. That's great. Delivering it down there. So, but it got bad. You know, I got back on the drugs because I wasn't going to church and I was working so much. And it was just, man, I got way out there on the meth. And uh, uh ended up selling the company because he got divorced and she lost. He lost it in the divorce. So anyways, so for three years, I'm swinging a 16-pound sledgehammer and all kinds of stuff with a broken shoulder. And uh, so now I'm not working, and the drugs are rampant. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? Well, I'm renting out my truck for dope and just everything. It's just selling everything I got. I mean, just I started selling drugs. I started cooking dope in my shed. And Oh, wait, let me back up. In 2011, we decided to have a second kid and uh, work on our marriage, which it didn't get any better. But anyway, so we got two kids now and all these drugs and a little one. So uh, anyway, CPS kept getting called uh, probably four or five times. I don't know, lost count. But I would drink bleach and orange juice. We both would. And uh, to clean our systems out so we would be able to keep our kids, you know, because we were women, right? No. Wow. Anyway, uh, it just continued, man. It was just chaotic. You know, uh, so they came back again. And by this time, man, we were strung out. Mm-hmm. I'm talking, we're just, I mean, anything you can think of that deals with drugs, we were doing it, you know. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to glorify it. But anyway, it was bad. So anyway, we uh CPS is getting called back and uh so I'm not even answering the door at this point because my way of thinking if you answer the door that's your own fault, you know. You're gonna fail. Anyway, so uh they kept coming back. They're relentless, they kept knocking. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't answering. You know, they knock on the door and the kids and they think, Shh, quiet, don't you know, and mm-hmm. and uh 
so they left the notes, and it was like, I don't know, like a Thursday, maybe. They said, we're coming back Monday with the cops. I'm like, oh, wow, we pushed it too far. Yeah. Anyway, so I said, it's time to quit now. Like, there's no time to wait. We have to quit now. So I quit in the dope house. I had the trap house. The trap house was my house. And uh, all these people there doing dope and uh, everything else. Anyway, uh, some people shooting up with their own blood. I mean, because they didn't have water. I've shot up with Dr. Pepper because they didn't have water. I mean, it's just crazy, stupid. Yeah. So anyway, so I quit and my wife can't quit. So I'm still having to get dope for her every day. I'm still having to go to the dope house and get dope because I quit doing it. I quit selling it. I quit so uh, they came back. They didn't have the cops, thank God, but they came back. And I opened the door and, uh, you know, talking and everything else. And my wife had just done some dope, like, right before they got there. And uh, they took the swabs and said, we're going to swab your mouth. And mm-hmm. I said, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust that. It's just a sponge. You know, I don't trust that. So they swabbed my mouth, they swabbed hers, and hers came back inconclusive, and mine came back as I failed. And I'm like, no, I know I didn't fail that. And uh, I said, I I want a urinalysis. I want a piss test right now. I'm like, we can't do that. I'm like, yeah, you can't. You're CPS. Like, we can't do that. I said, okay, look. I said, I have a cup in the kitchen. I'm fixing to pee in it, and you're going to take it with you. I said, you're not understanding something. I'm clean. So they said, okay, look, tomorrow go down and take a piss test, both of you. So I did, uh, we both did, and uh, which I knew I was going to pass, and I passed, but she failed. And uh, the CPS lady came to the house, and she said, you passed. And I said, I know I did. I tried to tell you all this. She's like, but she failed. She's like, if you don't take the kids out of here, I'm taking the kids. So, I mean, I left right then and there. Come on, let's go. So, I came to mom's house, and me and her at Wits End, we had been for the last 20 years. Or, yeah, just, it was bad. You know, the things, you know, my wife did to her, said to her, made, you know, made me do, my wife was still pain pills from her one time after having a surgery, and just, I I mean, just horrible stuff. Anyway, so like I was here and it was bad. It was I was I was clean, but it was still struggling to stay clean. So anyway, I cu- I couldn't stay here long. I didn't stay here very long at all. And uh, um, I moved in with some friends of mine, my best friend. We've been friends for forty three years, me and her. So she lived a block away still. So I went. I moved in with them, her and her husband. They drink, so I started drinking. I was drinking a fifth a day, driving around, whatever. But I thought I was doing good because I was off the dope. And then uh, I remember I, I took a drink, and God spoke to me again. And uh, I was like, really, right now? You want know, right, you know, to talk to me right now? He's like, yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know what all this means yet, but, but he said it. Anyway, he said, I want you to prepare for battle. He said, you need to prepare yourself. He said, life as, you, as we know it is never going to be the same. Mm. And uh, this is in 2015. Okay. So I'm like, 
So I'm like, I'm all cocky, you know, yeah, I'll do it in four thirteen, I can do all things through Christ, you know, and yeah, I got this and which I didn't have at all. Yeah. So anyway, um so I'm drinking every day, you know, and uh eight months goes by and I uh, I got a job and my uh my boss was just ripping people off and used car sales and just trying to claim to be a Christian and anyway, so I was mad at him one day about some things and I said, That ain't gonna work and I quit. I can't I can't be around this and uh so I was I was halfway out the door, he's like, Yeah, you can't even shoot yourself right, you can't do nothing right. So it made me mad and I went back in there and he's like an ex boxer, he used to box and anyway, so I cleared his desk off everything and I said, Come outside with me, you know, we've been in a fight and uh so he grabbed like a three foot closet rod that he had sawed off or whatever. And I said, Well bring that with you, you're gonna need it you know, and I sat outside and waited on it. Anyway, so on better judgment, I said, you know, I might not leave because the police station's like right down the road. So I left, and uh, man, I went to my girlfriend's house, and she gave me a Xanax, and I ate that, and that's my downfall. You know, I do stupid stuff when I do that, and after doing that and drinking, you know, I had my kid with me over at her house in, a, in Louisiana, a different state. I uh. An old dope dealer called me and said, you want $300 worth of dope? And it's crazy because, I mean, she died a few months ago, but uh, my dope dealer was my best friend that shot himself's girlfriend back in the day. Wow. The cheerleader. So it was just like, you know, whatever. So she gave me the stuff for free, for free. And a needle. And uh, I went to my girlfriend's house in Louisiana and shot the whole ground. And and uh, I went outside because I was hot and I was just texting somebody on the phone, another girl, because that's what dope does. And uh, the cops walked up behind me and I'm just standing outside texting somebody at two o'clock in the morning. You know, and I have still have a little dope on me and like a crumb and got weed. So they're like, freeze. And I'm like, oh, what? Oh man, yeah. I couldn't even spell my name right. I was so high, and uh, yeah. So I went to jail, and uh, I'm looking at five years in a different state. And I never had a felony. I'm looking at felonies, and like man, you know. So I'm just, I did it, man. I pushed it too far, mm. and uh, I, uh, I didn't know where my kid was. You know, that was the worst part. And, you know, I'd barely known this girl, and. And she ended up bringing him to my father-in-law's house for some reason, not my house. I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, they gave me the nickname C4 in there because it was just, I just blew up on everything and anybody and just, you know, I was mad at the world and mad at myself and just, you know, mm-hmm. uh, after two days of just, you know, just anger, just poor, just vicious, you know, just, this guy came in and uh, this jail is like an 1800 jail. It hadn't changed a bit. And there's only like 10 cells, so you can't see nobody else. But I could see the bars. And this guy, he put a bottle out of the bars. He's like, you want this? And I said, yeah, I do. And he slid it to me. And, uh, man, I just got into it. And I stayed in there, man. I, anytime, 
anytime I was angry or, or felt alone or alone or shameful or anything other than joy, I was in there reading it instead of letting myself instead of letting myself feel those feelings and just get worse and worse. And, so that's why you were reading it for so many hours a day? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's all I had, man. I, yeah. yeah. I was reading it like 16 hours a day. Yeah. But I had to because if I wasn't reading it, I was thinking too much. I yeah. was, you know, Satan was in my mind, yep. you know, because the idle mind is the devil's playground. Yeah, right. So I had to keep my mind busy and, and, and yeah, <laughs> actually, I was writing down a lot of stuff, man, just writing down and underlining and just tons of stuff, just just going through it, you know, and, I, and then I read a book in there. We didn't have any books, but there was a book in there. It had no covers on it, but it was a Joyce Meyer book, mm -hmm. and uh, it was called Do Yourself a Favor and Forgive, and uh, I read that book. It was only like 160 pages. I read it twice, and it was like, man, it was just... Spoke I was opened up. I, yeah, I opened up, man. I was like, because I didn't think I had a problem with forgiveness. I'd been talking to my dad face to face. Drove 30 miles to do it in the car with him, sit across from his desk and talk to him face to face and tell him I forgive him. You know, and ask him to forgive me for the things he had to see and go through after I shot myself. Mm. Because he had to go in there and pull my teeth and bones out of the wall with pliers. And, and cut that sheetrock out of there and remodel the bathroom by himself uh, before his family could be in there, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, he was a jerk, but the things that, that I put him through, you know, were real, you know? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I didn't think I had a problem with forgiveness, but apparently that whole book is written to me. <laughs> uh, of course. <laughs> so, but so, but um, and man, forgiveness, man. I, I learned how to forgive in there, and uh, man, that was chains started falling off of me, dude. When I learned how to truly forgive, the chains just started falling and falling and falling. And it was like, bro, I just kept digging in and digging in and digging in. And um, whenever uh, I was, like I said, I was looking at five years, and uh, they they transferred me from. From the little bitty prison, little jail, podunk jail, to a prison. And uh, I was over there, and these people was, uh, had already gotten sentenced and everything. I'm like, man, they threw me to the wolves, yo. It's like, I'm supposed to be in county jail, and uh, I'm in a, a prison in Lake, in Lake Charles. And it's like, whoa. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> Uh, but I had my Bible, man. A guy gave me the Bible. Actually, he went to Lake Charles with me. Huh. And because, uh, like, if you're a felon, if you got a felony, you you don't just get out of county where I was. They take you to Lake Charles, and you got to go through all that and get out from there. Yeah. But I wasn't getting out anyway. So I'm over there, and uh, you know they're talking about court could be over a year. You know, especially if I'm out of state. And I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, you know, and at this time, you know, my my wife, my separated wife, she had done with moved the dope dealer in her house in our house. I mean, she went to prison, you know, she was fixing to get out when I she had a month left when I went in. And uh 
so it was like there was no communication you know and I, I had my truck and my girlfriends i couldn't you know they're talking about towing it and i'm like so i got my best friend uh she went and got my truck and uh i was like just put it wherever you want to put it i don't care just get it you know and but she had a spare key in my truck and uh so anyway my truck was safe and she was supposed to be getting out in a month and i was stuck in there and I was just praying and praying all the time and you know, I was laying there praying one day and there's no there's no AC in this jail. It's ninety eight degrees inside. So this is like sitting there sweating and I start praying to God and like, man, I just wanna go home, you know. I call him dude a lot, sorry, but me and him have a personal relationship, so and I'm like, dude, I just want to go home and I heard him say you know, soon, my son. I'm like, soon? I said, I'm not even asking how long soon is. I can do soon. So, I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not stressing to getting out. I'm just, I'm praying. I'm focusing on him. And and uh, about a week later, they told me to pack my house. And I was going home. I'm like, what? Yes. So, my wife had sold my truck and, uh, and got me out. So I, I didn't want to get back with her, but I mean, I really hadn't didn't have much of a choice. So we tried to make it work. You know, I was still, you know, we were both trying to focus on God, and it was it was good, it was working. But um, I stayed the course, and she fell off. You know, and and uh, she started doing dope again. I didn't even know, and um. Hey, uh, let me back up. So we were doing good and everything, praying about the court thing. I went to court, and um, like I said, I'm looking at five years, felony time. Mm. And I'm up there, and uh, the DA is sitting there at the table, and uh, the judge is talking, and she said, uh, she said the charges and the judge said he said well we're going to reduce it all down to misdemeanor uh weed possession first offense and my mouth just dropped because that's not close to being my, like eight or nine time i've been <coughs> in jail you know <coughs> i'm sorry i'm getting over corona too <laughs> yeah now we're the corona brothers man <laughs> yeah. covid brothers nah go for but, it man. Uh, you're all right so the da even says that's not his first offense in these other charges he's like i don't care he said uh i'm sensing him to uh 20 days in jail and he spent 60 days in jail so time served go home sir boom free Praise no, God. nothing. Free, free, free. And that's only God. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? How does that happen? God. How does that, I had a, uh, exactly. So it's like, what? So God's always been there helping me. So anyway, I go home. Everything is good. And uh, she gets back on the drugs. And I don't know. I don't know about it. You know, she's hiding it for me. So a few months go by and she's like, and she's on probation and uh, family probation. She, anyway, so her probation officer calls and says, we want to do a drug test. And she's freaking out. I'm like, what's the big deal? Go take a drug test. She's like, I'm dirty. I'm like, what? I said, oh, you messed up. 
And uh, so she, I said, you got to go take the test. If you don't take the test, it's a fail anyway. So she went and told them, you know, even before the test, what she did. And uh, she failed the test. They put her back in prison for eight more months. And those eight months, you know, I was just hitting the, hitting the Bible, just, you know, digging deep. And, uh, well, no, let me, let me back up a little bit. She had she had to go to N agents because of her probation, and we were doing that like was it uh, ninety meetings in ninety days, uh-huh. and uh, we were doing that, and I loved it. You know, I was which I I quit without all that, but I loved it because I was I could help people. You know, I could use what I've been learning and try to help people. And man, I loved it. I loved it. And this lady said. You need to start a Facebook group, and I wasn't—I didn't have a Facebook. You know, me and my wife had one before, and it was—it was trouble. Okay, because right. we were on dope, and uh, anyway, so I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not starting a group. I don't, I'm not getting on the Facebook thing. And so yeah, yeah, she kept on and on and pushing me, and and uh, she pushed me. You know, God put on her heart to push me. So I said, okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll see about starting one. So I went home and uh, going through the motions of starting one, and I named it Suicide Prevention and God's Helpers, and it's still going. But uh, the, I started it, and in one day, like the next day after I was like, I was helping people and doing all this stuff and and uh, and meeting people that, you know, read my story that needed help and passed it along. And, uh, you know, the band corn. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the lead bass guitarist. Yeah. Head Welch. Yes. Messaged me one day. No way. Serious. (laughs) (laughs) He said, he said, man, I read your story. He said, I back you 100%. Yeah. And uh, now I got chills right now. But he, he he's a big Christian now. He yes, turned his he life is. over to God. Yeah, he's got yeah. an incredible story too. So he reaches yeah. out to you, right? Yeah, he reaches out. I saved the screenshot for a long time, but through new phones and everything else. But yeah. anyway, he said, uh, he said, I've been sharing your story with a you know some people and this and another. Well, out of him sharing my story, this ex-Marine that was in Special Forces, it, for over like 11 years messages me and he's got a ministry and he wants me to be a part of it and like this that and the other I'm like okay cool you know and it was, it was called No Clue Ministries because he didn't have a clue what he was doing God just told him to do it I'm like hey whatever hey. really that's it so I'm like I linked up with this guy and uh, he flew me a few places you know and met me there and I did some speaking and and uh and you know people getting help and saved and like man just look at this you know and like and it's nothing that I did it's all God you know and it's like it was just great but uh matter of fact uh he was gonna give me a house on North Carolina Beach that uh free of charge to live in his uh it's the house he lived in when he was in boot camp and all that and Mm -hmm. he, he lived like three hours away in a different state he said but it's just vacant and uh but anyway hurricane came through and tore the house I didn't end up going but I was gonna go anyway but uh 
things were good, you know, and I was I was helping everybody and she was in there and uh I met a lady through Facebook that had another ministry wanted me to be a part of it. And um I was like, Yeah, sure, because I mean why say no? Right, God's opening anyway, doors for you. Yeah. So but the guy got mad. He's like, Man, don't trust her, don't don't work with her and I'm like, hmm. Like, I don't know about that. Uh, so anyway, me and him kind of faded off because, uh, you know, why wouldn't you want to, you know, just help anybody, you know, yeah, it's right? It's a competition. Yeah. So I'm like, uh-uh. anyway, so I kind of floated off of that one. And uh, I stayed with the lady. Just I, I felt it was right. You know, I felt it was a it was a move of God, you know, and and I still in that ministry today. But um and it's in Alabama, and I go there. I've been there several times, but um, but she pushed me. She pushed me, and she. Uh, I thank God for my pushers. <laughs> yeah, but the she right said, uh, "Yeah, she said uh, you want to get your minister's license." And I'm like, "Whoa, slow down!" Wow, <laughs> you know, I'm like, "Wait a minute, that's 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 a lot." You know, I, was, I don't know. I said, "Maybe you know, one day I do," but like this. You know, it's, I felt overwhelmed at the time, I guess, mm -hmm. by that. Yeah. But she was pushing me, and I know to have faith in God. And if I don't want to do something, I need to do it. <laughs> but uh, so I was like, you know, yeah, okay. I, she said, my ministry will pay for it. So just do it. Wow. And uh, so I was like, okay. So you know, it was expensive, too. It was it was a lot. But anyway, I put myself through school, which I could, I was able to do at home. They sent me all the packets and papers and good Lord. Anyway, so I was in it. I was doing it and I was doing it. And uh, it was over a year just studying and just doing it myself, you know, and, and just trying to apply myself. So anyway, uh, I got that, took both all my finals for that, and made a 98 and a 96. So, gave me Overachiever. Yeah. Well, hey, I got to get this stuff right. Yeah, man. You're not kidding. <laughs> so, anyway, I had my minister's license, man. And I was like, I was a minister. And I was like, what? Even though I don't preach at a church, you know, right. people who are in the church are halfway there. I need the people in the trenches. Yeah. So, what I call it, I call it trench ministry is what I do. Is the name I developed for it. That's awesome. But, um, so I just I just started doing it, man. Just kept on and on, and got the groups, and I uh, man, I had men in over thirty different self help groups, suicide, you know, all that kind of stuff, and I mean, uh, and my personal groups, I have a few of them, but I just mainly focus on one. Yeah. A few people have given me their groups. Here you want it? I'm like, well, I mean, I just you don't need to shut it, but yeah. anyway, but um. So, yeah, when she got out of prison, um, I was still going through the school and stuff. But she, uh, I told her, I said, look, I said, I'm immense. I'm immensely serious in this. I said, I'm wrapped up in this stuff. I said, you, we've got to get right. You've got to get right. Okay. I know you're on the right track because you've been in prison for eight months and you've been doing the God thing. I said, but here's something. It's, I don't know, just if you don't follow me, I'm going to leave you behind. I made that choice. Yeah. I said, if you do not follow suit and you go the opposite way, I will walk away. And uh, it was good for a while. 
But then, same old, same old. She started mm-hmm. falling back, falling back. Mm-hmm. And it got, it got pretty bad. And she started drinking a little bit. And every time she would drink, she would just... I mean, like, it could be three little airplane bottles and she's fighting mad. Mm-hmm. You know, and kick me in the face on the bed or if I'm driving down the road, just hawk and kick me in the face while I'm driving, just whatever the case may be. And it was just, it was horribly toxic. So it got to the point where I said, I'm, I'm gone. I'm, I've got, I'm done. I've got to be done. And I, I went and took the kids out of there and, uh, which my oldest, you know, he went and stayed with my friend because he, we couldn't get along either. He's, he was like 17, I think, or 18, something like that. But anyway, but, uh, he saw too much toxic stuff growing up. And that's another reason I left to get my young one out of there before he saw as much as my other one did. And, yeah. you know, and, and we got divorced. And, uh, you know, that's where we're at. I mean, we're still friends. And sorry today, but yeah. she's, she's, she hadn't figured it out yet. Well, it I'm sounds like over, over the years, God's removed the, uh, the, uh, the things that were the, the boundaries or the barriers rather from from where you were at to where he needed you to go. And he knew you were willing, but there was a lot of this, what I call noise around you trying to yeah. pull you down, hold you back. And you know, you know, as well as better than anyone that uh, whatever he wills will be done. And Absolutely. whatever he doesn't won't be. So it uh, looks like uh, he, he wins again. So he was, uh, he was protecting you, whether you were inside of jail or outside of jail. Right. Right. Uh, from sometimes yourself and sometimes from others, it sounds like <laughs> myself, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just like you said about looking back sometimes while we're going through it, we don't really see what's happening. We just see the chaos, but yeah. see, the chaos is before the peace. And I think right, right now we, where I'm understanding, I know you haven't gotten there yet, but um, you're in a you're in a season of peace and 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 prosperity, and I, I don't mean money. That's not true prosperity anyway. I'm, I'm talking right, about right. prosperity in the kingdom, and uh, yeah. what a total transformation. So yeah, I, man, I can just see the devil all in his hand, his hands all in through your life. But I always see God pulling you back, holding you back, pulling you forward, and uh, you being mm-hmm. obedient. You know, the good and faithful servant that He's telling you to be, that He asks all of us to be. And uh, man, that's exciting. So what what happened next? Uh, well, uh, just kept pushing, kept pushing. I, uh, I moved back in with my mom, uh, again, <laughs> but this time it was way different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live there now. I live in the house I shot myself in. I just, but it, I don't, it don't bother me. Right. It don't bother me a bit. It don't, you know, uh. He took away your past. Yeah. But the cool thing is, uh, I've been here over a couple of years and we hadn't you know ever fight yeah. never and back in the day we couldn't talk for five minutes without fighting mm-hmm. and it's like you know God just restored my relationship with my mother and and my, my family and uh, I mean my you know like my aunts and uncles on her side of the family you know and it was uh, yeah because I was a black sheep I'm the only one that's ever been to jail my family all that so it's like as far as I went they're like I mean when they heard I was smoking weed back in the day, oh, I, I was the devil. You know, it's like, y'all don't even understand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but today, man, I'm just, I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to, still go to church all the time. And I'm just, I can't get enough of him, you know. And I, I'm at a season right now where 
it's like I, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. Like, I got, um, Oh, I can back up, but I got, I do Bible studies on the phone and in my car. And man, I just, if I'm not doing 20 a day, I mean, I feel lost. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just, cause I deliver pizza in my car. So all day I'm in my car so I can do that. You know, and, uh, I'm talking to people all day at work. I'll take, if, if I have a serious call or something, you know, if somebody's needing help, I'll tell them at work, Hey, Clock me out an hour. I'm going to sit in the car for a minute. Yeah. If y'all need something, come get me. They're like, okay, go ahead. That's awesome. They, I mean, they, they know what I do. They know my passion about it and behind it. And it's like, Man. and I, I still travel around wherever I can, speaking and showing God's love to everybody, anybody I meet. And it's just, I don't know, man. I just, I got to have God. I got to keep pushing. Yeah. I got to have it. It's reminiscent There's of There's too Paul. much out there. Yeah. And it's crazy because, you know, how I mean, I grew up and I would hear people talk about, oh, don't watch TV and don't do this and don't do that. And I'm like, that's just TV. Right. Oh, no, they're serious. You know, if you're not... If you're not where you need to be, you know, there's all kinds of things that can get to you all kinds of different ways. Yep. I always say, you if you're know, not in the word, you're in the world. That's it. Like watching the news, man, you can just get mad in a second by watching the news. But, you know, anger does, or getting offended is the base of Satan. You know, if we get offended by everything, this, that, and the other, it's like, what are we here for? That's y'all are missing the point. It's like, if my ex makes me mad, Satan won. Yeah. Because if, what well, I can get mad as long as I don't lash out and sin. He, you know. But like, with anybody, you know, because it's not a battle between flesh and blood. Mm -hmm. If somebody makes me mad and I say something to them, then I lost right there. I lost. Yeah. Because... Satan's getting me messed up and then I'm going to go fester about it and keep, you know, and make it worse and worse, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But um, I always like to touch on three important things when I, when I do talk and, and give my testimony. And one of them is forgiveness. It's You've got to have forgiveness. For one thing, if you can't forgive, you can't be forgiven by God. Yep. For two... Forgiveness isn't for the other person, ever. Most of those people that you're mad at don't care or don't even know. <laughs> yeah. It's for you. It's for those chains to fall off of you. Right. You know, and the second thing is isolation. Everybody wants to get hurt and isolate themselves. And that's the absolute worst thing you can do. Okay, because like I said, I don't mind the devil's playground. But if you get in trouble out in the world and you go to jail because you're being punished, it's pretty bad. But if you're in jail and you get in trouble, you get punished. What do they do with you? They throw you in isolation, solitary confinement. The worst possible place they can put a criminal to do the worst, you know, emotional damage they can do. So why why are we willingly putting our own self in the worst possible place? Yeah, yeah, right That's on, we put ourselves. That's why I call it self-sabotage. Yeah. Yep. So that's why the reaching out is so important because you're not alone in what you're going through. I guarantee it. 
You know, you're not the only one that's ever done it. You know, <laughs> you didn't create a sin. But uh, it's to reach out because there's other people going through the same thing and releasing and speaking and getting it out there takes the power away from Satan because the power of the sin is in the secret. You know? Mm -hmm. That's, that's and, yeah, absolutely spot on. <laughs> And the third, and the third thing, the last thing I'll say is, uh, when everybody says give it to God, nobody tells you how to do it. You know, they say yeah. give it to God, have a nice day, yeah. whatever. So I want to tell you how to give it to God. The way you give something to God, it's like what I did in jail. When you start feeling anger, you don't sit there and be angry. You walk over there and you get your Bible and you start reading it. Or when you start feeling lonely, you don't sit there in your own self-pity. You go get your Bible and you start reading it. And you read it, and you read it, and you read it until you don't feel like that. And it don't take long. But if you can get yourself in a pattern of doing that, it becomes a habit. And then it becomes a lifestyle. And then, man, you got it. Amen. I'm not saying you. I'm not saying that you won't have bad things come against you. But when they do come against you, you'll be like Paul and them and the, and the disciples in the Bible that were fixing to get their heads chopped off and happy about it. That's right. They had they had peace in the struggle. Yep. And that's what he means by his greater is in him than uh, in you that is him that is, than he that is in the world. So exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, right out right out of scripture. That is a really solid uh, nugget to to live by. What do you think? Um, like the listeners, right? If if they have, which I'm sure they do, uh, it could be them. Uh, it could be a loved one. Uh, an acquaintance, uh, co-worker, friend, and maybe not even now, maybe it's a couple months from now, um, that they're feeling low, they're at a stage where they feel uh, maybe they, they, they lack purpose or, yeah. or perhaps they are too low to rise out of the ashes. What, what's, the, what's the number one thing you think they could do uh, to help? Read the Bible. That is... It's put there for a reason, okay? And the Bible, I don't, I don't know if this is really what it means, <laughs> but basic instructions before leaving earth, you know? And, uh, man, God wants it. That's the way he speaks to us. That's the way we defeat evil is with the words. I mean, because like when Jesus was tempted, how did he, how did he beat Satan? He, he read scripture. Yep. So if we're always in the Bible and we're learning and, and have it on our heart, then we can defeat Satan with it. And when we feel like that, we can rebuke those feelings right in our own bedroom and, and feel better immediately. You know, we can we have the power and the control to defeat him. That's right. You know, yeah, and that's how powerful the scriptures are that they're so powerful. Even the devil has them memorized and tries to use yeah. them against the one that wrote it. Exactly. That's how powerful it is. But, uh, you know, what, but if, what, if somebody is, if somebody is in that situation, though, they're probably initially not going to go get the Bible, but if they can find a way to get it and read it, that will work. But they can also contact me. They can, uh, find my group on Facebook. It's called Suicide Prevention and God's Helpers. They can, uh, they can Google my name. It'll pop up. 
I mean, my phone number's all over my Facebook. It's all over my group. I mean, just, it's, it's not hidden. Uh, just reach out to somebody, anybody. Yeah. You know? And, and yeah, please, you know, if we can include these in, uh, today's show notes for our listeners, I'd love to just get some, uh, some, some ways that, uh, the listeners can get, get, reach out to you, um, find out more about you, how they can support your ministries and, um, and perhaps even connect with you one-on-one or pass you to a loved one that they feel, uh, would resonate well with you. So, um, if you can, if you can send me that, I'll include them. And, uh, yeah, that's the least we can do. And, um, just to help out, um, you know, your mission and God's mission with you. Let me ask you one more question, uh, if, if I may, before we wrap up, uh, Corey, you know, if you could go back and, uh, whisper something into young Corey's ear, the one just prior to the attempt to, uh, to end your life, what would that be? I would just talk about God, man. Just get close as you can to God because he wants to choose for one reason. That's what he created you for, to have a relationship with him. And, uh, just stress the fact of, about the Bible, you know, just, I mean, I can't stress it enough. You know, God loves us that much that he gives it. It's that simple. Cause I mean, it sounds too easy, but he loves us that much to make it that easy. Mm. You know? And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the only, yep. the only truth that remains is God. So, I mean, everything else will pay off. That's right. Well, man, you know, you are absolutely invited back anytime, brother. Um, well, thank you very much. Yeah, please, <laughs> please, please do. Please stay in touch and let us know how we can uh, support your ministries and, um, and connect even further. And I'm going to talk to you again real soon, Corey. God, God bless your brother and, and stay blessed and stay blessing others. We need you. Um, well, thank you. And God bless you as well. <laughs> yeah, very well. So, uh, you know, before we end today's show, I just wanted to thank, uh, again, Corey Burris and you all again for tuning in. And I hope, I know you were touched by Corey's story and, uh, and the power, the, the glory of God and what he can do through one person to affect many. And, you know, as always, if, if you'd like to reach out to me, you know, please call me directly at 407-493-3208. You can email me at ben at shaken-awake.com or... You can check out the show at shaken-awake.com. I will have uh, Corey's contact information and uh, some information on his ministries and Facebook groups for you to connect. So next week, uh, tune in next Sunday or whenever you're able as we take a dive into another very important topic. But I'm going to give it a twist. I'm going to let you know next weekend how many weekends you have left remaining on this earth. Yes, I will do that. So next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you all for joining. Until next time, take great care of yourself and each other, and God bless you all.